0: And I'd ask you to join me in a word of prayer. And gracious Heavenly Father, we have celebrated Christmas, and together as families and as friends, and Lord, even alone, we have, we have claimed uh, the promises that have been made from the beginning of time, promises of light and life and promises that are sealed in the, in the person in your Son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and Lord, having taken hold of these promises, Lord, you have taken hold of us as well. Help us to know how it is, Lord, that we shall live our lives now in your hand. And Lord, give us that courage, that strength, and Lord, the radiance of your Spirit to live lives of purpose and meaning as you've intended us, and Lord, for which you have created us from the beginning of time, so that we, your men and women, might be the men and women of God. This we pray in the powerful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. There's a story that is told uh, of a young man in France in those turbulent days immediately following World War II. In the wake of the war, uh, there was a power vacuum that was created in in Paris that created a tremendous struggle, a conflict between the forces of uh, uh, de Gaulle and the forces of the communists, and the labor unions formed the Communist Party's front line, and this young man was an electrician who worked at the central power plant in Paris. At home, he had a a young wife uh, who he loved with a passion and Together they had a little daughter and the little girl he just worshipped. One evening he had dinner with his wife and his daughter. He played a little game with her until bedtime and, and as she went to bed he left and, and left to join the party cause in the conflict of the night. He'd only been gone for about an hour when the daughter fell ill to an appendicitis attack. The doctor came and determined that the appendix had burst and And there was no time to get to the hospital, and he would have to operate right there in the apartment immediately to save the child's life. Just as he began the makeshift surgery, the lights, without any warning, not even a flicker, went out in the entire city. And the apartment was plunged into darkness along with the entire city, and the the wife ran around the house searching for candles and lamps, went to the neighbors to get candles and lamps, but it was too late, and, and the daughter passed away the mother's heart was crushed but even more she was at a loss wondering what she would say to her husband when he returned how could she break the news when when suddenly he 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 came home and and he burst through the door of the apartment he was thrilled he was excited he was just beaming with pride and he and he announced we have won a great victory for our cause we have shut this city down and I myself pulled the master switch such is the tragedy of darkness. But such a tragedy also highlights the wonderful gift that we have by being the recipients of the gift of Christmas, the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to be His people in a world that is constantly turning the lights out on itself. What a time it is coming up to 2015 to be the people who are able to carry the name given to Christ and by Christ to be the people who are known as light in a dark world. This is the time and this is the season to turn on the lights. Looking back at Christmas, we heard the words of the prophet Isaiah. That's what we began with in Advent, that people walking in darkness will have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light will dawn upon them. The fact is, we are all too familiar with the hazards of the darkness. We live in a world that is all too familiar with fears embedded in the land of the shadow of death. And novelists, well, they know how to send a shiver down our spines with, with, with some very simple words. It was a dark and stormy night. Ooh. And children learn from a very early age to be fearful of the darkness. That's why nightlights are so popular. There is a strange power in a little four-watt bulb that is able to chase away the darkness just enough to give any one of us a huge measure of comfort, isn't it? Darkness is uncomfortable, and Darkness can be confusing, and at times, darkness can be terrifying. But the fact is, it is not invincible. And we are the people who have seen a great light, and in our worship we declare that the light has dawned to us, A child has been born and the son has been given and his name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for some, that message of the prophet Isaiah, well, it only belongs to Christmas Day and then we move on to Boxing Day and into the year. But the fact... That the, is that the, the message of the prophet Isaiah is so much more. Historically, the promise of light sets a theme for the entire season that goes beyond Christmas all the way to Easter. It's a season called Epiphany, which technically really does not begin until the twelfth day after Christmas as a celebration of the arrival of the three kings. I know what Christmas was saying. But when I consider the definition of the word Epiphany, which the Dictionary calls a sudden intuitive leap of understanding, especially through an ordinary but a striking occurrence, well, isn't that the wonder that began with the birth of Jesus Christ? Now, Epiphany is not something widely celebrated in Baptist tradition, but it does launch a season of light, and that is our profile. We are Epiphany people. We are people of the light. And the task of this season that takes us beyond Christmas, well, again, from the earliest church, it defines the mission of our church, where every one of us, every believer, every disciple, begins now to penetrate the world with the light of the nativity, the light of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift for our world. What a wonderful gift for your world. What a wonderful gift for a world of darkness that keeps turning out the lights. And it's a remarkable gift. In in the Old Testament, the word light was used to describe the the tangible essence and the presence of God. In in Psalm 104, verse 2, it describes the glory of God. There we read, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, for you wrap yourself in light as a garment. Light describes the glory of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, it it reveals the wisdom of God. He reveals deep and hidden things, we read. He he knows what lies in darkness, but light dwells in him. It describes the wisdom of God. And in Psalm 27, it brings the full assurance of the grace and presence of God. There we read in verse 1, Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. I read that and I realize that light is more than just a gift from God. It is a sign and a seal of his very essence and his presence. Those passages do not read that the Lord sends his life and his salvation. It reads, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Light shines because he is there, not in theory or in concept, but in presence and power as proof that God has arrived and has come into this world, has come into our lives, come into your life into my life, and he has come to stay. (laughs) When Jesus speaks in John chapter 8, verse 12, he, he puts it in utter clarity. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Go back to everything that was loaded into that image in the Old Testament. The favor, the glory, the wisdom, the presence, and the guidance of God. He is all of those and so much more. Those who walk with Jesus have no reason to walk in darkness. You are walking with the light of life. And that's what we take into the world. I love the way C.S. Lewis explained his relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I believe in Christ... As I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I can see everything else. <laughs> it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ that life then begins to make sense. And the old, as the old hymn, it, it puts it in a wonderful phrase. He says, I once was blind, but now I see amazing grace. It is with light that we discover what was hidden in the darkness. And it is with light that we find the treasures that we would have never seen otherwise. And light empowers us to, to focus on joy instead of sorrow, which is the darkness. And light sets apart blessing from adversity, which is darkness. And it is light that connects us to life rather than death, which is darkness. Think about that promise in John chapter 8, verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <clears throat> now, I don't know where life has taken you. And I don't know where life will be taking you in the coming year, in 2015. And I don't know what thoughts hang over you like a dark cloud or extend into the future. But it is my prayer that all of us, that you and me, do find ourselves drawn to the one who is the light, with a heart that is eager to pray, that's what I want. I want life, not death. I want joy, not sorrow. And and blessings that more than compensate for any adversity I've ever suffered. I want Jesus to shine all over me. That's what I want. Don't you? That's an Advent invitation, but take care. Because when you respond to that invitation, you not only have a heart that is open for a handout, this issue of light also becomes an act of responsibility. It becomes a mission for each and every one of us. I've always been intrigued by the way Jesus turns the tables on us. And he takes a turn of phrase in the Gospels, and he pulls together the cords of our heart, and then ties us to himself and to his purposes. Were we to read John chapter 8 alone, it would be enough, wouldn't it? I am the light of the world, whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. If if, if all we were to hear was that a promise, a promise like that, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world, that would be enough, wouldn't it? We could take his blessing and we could go ahead and skip our way through our world, singing joy to the world, couldn't we? But in Matthew five, he does something very intriguing. He turns the table on us, and then he ties each and every one of us up with a little bow and to himself. In Matthew chapter four, verse 14, 5, verse fourteen. I'm sorry, Matthew five fourteen. He makes it clear that those who follow him. That's you and me, that we now are the light of the world. Did you read that? Isn't that strange? He says, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. That sounds so Zen, doesn't it? How can he be the light of the world and I be now the light of the world? He says, you are the light of the world. Verse 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. There's a full circle there, isn't there? We are blessed in order to bless. We are given joy in order to make more joy. We receive life so that others will not perish. The light shines on us so that the light might shine then through us. I'm sure you've heard ads that talk about the gifts that keep on giving. Well, the first gift of Christmas is the gift of life, and it keeps on giving by going out into the world through you and me. For 2,000 years, those who walked in darkness may have seen a great light, but here at the end of December in 2014, our world, your world, will have a chance to see you and me, and my question is, in looking at us, will they see the light? I got a hint of the way God intends to work in our lives through a story <clears throat> that was told by Robert Fulghum. In his travels, he met an amazing man, the uh, Greek philosopher uh, Alexander uh, and Christian Alexander Papaderos, the man whose quality of character and radiant presence was recognized by many as the force that brought peace to war-torn uh, the uh, war-torn island of Cyprus. <clears throat> One look at him, Fulghum writes and you saw in him strength and integrity and energy and courage intelligence passion and life it all radiated from his person and it all came from his faith fulgum describes a moment <clears throat> that followed a speech that was made by alexander papadaros where questions were entertained and then he said i have uh, time for one last question dr papadaros said at the end of his lecture and fulgum writes this he said dr papadaros <clears throat> What is the meaning of life? (laughs) Well, the room filled with laughter and people stirred to go, but Papaderos held up his hand and he stilled the room and he looked at me for a very long time, asking with my eyes if I was serious. And seeing in my eyes that I was, he said, I will answer your question. Taking his wallet out of his hip pocket, he fished into a leather billfold and he brought out a very small round mirror about the size of a quarter. When I was a small child during the war, he said, I found this broken piece of mirror, and I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but that was not possible, so I kept this, the largest piece. And by scratching it on stone, I made it round. And as a toy, I was fascinated by the fact it would reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine. I find my spot. <laughs> I just—I just lost it. <laughs> uh, where am I? All of a sudden, I can't see. Oh, <clears throat> I would take this uh, little mirror, and I would—I 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 would reflect the light in dark places where the sun would never shine, in deep holes and crevasses, and and dark closets. It almost became a game for me to get the light into the most inaccessible place I could find. Have you ever done that, by the way? Maybe, maybe it was a watch. You sit in classroom and the sun's coming through the, and so you start trying to find your friends, you know, in their eyes, you know, you see if you you see if you can kind of, you know, put little spots in the ceiling. If you have a pet, you know, cats love that, don't they? They, you know, what is that thing? You know, Uh, so he, he he he. It became a game for him to get light into the most inaccessible place he could ever find. He said, I kept this little mirror, and as I went about growing up, I would take it out in idle moments, and I would continue the challenge of that game. As a man, he said, I now understand that this is not a child's game, but as a lesson for what I am to do with my life. I am not the light, nor the source of light, but the light is there, and it will shine in many dark places if I reflect it. With what I have and what God has made me to be, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, the black places in the hearts of men and change some things in some people. And so this is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. And then Fulgham wrote, he took out his small mirror and he held it carefully and he caught the bright rays of daylight that were streaming through the window and he, he reflected them onto my face. And then he reflected them onto my hands that were folded on the desk before me. And the meaning of life suddenly became real to me as well. What a beautiful image, isn't it? Not too long ago, <clears throat> uh, about a year and a half ago, Trinity Western University hosted an evening lecture with the British theologian N.T. Wright. In it, he spoke of, in creation, how God has made each of us in his image, each and every single one of us. He started with the conventional explanation that being made in the image of God. Uh, enables us to, to serve like a mirror capable of reflecting God back to himself. But then he added another dimension by adding the image of God in the human heart, and he called it a bent mirror. Oh. And that image is the same as that which was used by Alexander Papaderos. In fact, to be honest, I do have a little bent mirror. I probably should have brought it this morning, but we don't have any daylight for me to, to shine around here. It was a little dentist thing that I got when I was about eight years old. And I've carried it with me through the years. The same sort of image. And, and, and it's a bent mirror that is capable of, of bringing light into dark places. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And like mirrors in his hand, he then takes us and he turns us in so many directions saying, now you are to be the light of the world. Will your life be directed by me in such a way that the light will shine into the dark places, into the inner recesses, into the hearts of those around you? Will you shine for me? Will you bring to others what I have brought to you? Life, joy, and blessing?" That's the question Jesus raises to those of us who are willingly carrying his name. We are Christians, children of God. We are a people who lay claim to Christmas, and we, we pride ourselves in knowing its true and real meaning. But now it becomes time for us to fulfill its real and true mission. The prophet Isaiah called Jesus the great light. (laughs) Well, there's a cute little children's chorus, I'm sure you know. This little light. (laughs) That's who we are. You may be little, I may be little, but is it in your heart to pray, Lord, I'm going to let you shine through me. Let me shine, let me shine. Let me shine. I've asked Grant if we could close with singing that song, but I'm going to give him a chance to prepare. I'm going to ask you to pray together with me. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, think of it this way. God, I am in your hand. I am obedient to you and thankful for the gift that you have given me in Jesus Christ. And so now, Lord, I willingly give myself to you so that you might turn me as you will to whom you will so that the light might be reflected into the darkness and that those, Lord, living in the shadow of death might too see the great light, that of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.